Barden for three. This is a podcast, not basketball, Evan. Pat, let me dream. Never. Hey, folks, this is Pat, and you've already heard from Evan. Welcome to episode three of Repeater, a little show about big songs. Repeater is a live talk show that we record in Queens, where we live, like Kings. Each episode, we invite a guest to share a song that they love. The songs we ask for can be anything that our guests have connected to. Songs that remind them of summer or their prom or just something they heard over and over and over again on a road trip mixtape. You know, songs that stand out. After an interview with the guest, we invite a musician to perform a cover of the song and then close the show with a tune of their own. And that's the show. Pat and I host it. Our guests make it great. This episode is really special and it's sort of wild that it even happened. Our guest is Brendan Brown, lead singer and songwriter of the band Weedus. You know, the guys behind the classic song, Teenage Dirtbag. Uh, We were able to get in touch with him because he replied to us on Twitter. Behold, the power of the internet. Only a couple of weeks before we recorded this show, we were talking with Annalise Dominigani, who is a writer and social media editor for Noisy, about the song Teenage Dirtbag. We were tweeting about the show after the fact, and Brendan saw the chatter, said hello, and then agreed to sit down with us. How freaking cool is that? The subject of one show becomes the guest of the next show. It's so cool. Unfortunately, though, we're not going to be able to release Annalise's episode because of a recording error. So you might hear us making references to the previous show and be a little confused, but that's okay. We're all in this together. And now we zip it. Thanks for being here. This is Repeater. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome up our guest, Brendan Brown. Howdy. Hello. Howdy. Uh, now, we are in for um, a treat tonight because this is going to be the first time that our interview guest is also our musical guest. So, thank you for doing thank that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, Pat, for anyone that doesn't know who Brendan is, who's Brendan and why is he going to be our musical guest? <laughs> so, uh, Brenda, Brenda, uh, <laughs> off to a beautiful start. I like that better. <laughs> uh, so, Brendan is the lead singer and guitarist of the band Weedus. Uh, cool. Very cool. Which Thanks, is thanks. awesome because if you were here at our last show, the song we talked about was Teenage Dirtbag, um, which we had a lot of fun talking about. Uh, we got into a lot of really cool topics. The next day, I went on Twitter. I'm just like, hey, this was great. I had a lot of fun. Saw that we just had a Twitter account. And then within the hour, Brendan was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll March 8th. I'll be there. <laughs> like, you and can't... I was like kicking myself a little bit because I was like, if I knew it was that easy, it would have been like, we would have had you just at the last one. But we got two shows out of it. We should get yeah. a manager and make it hard for you next time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, that is the, that is the power of, uh, social media, I guess. Right. Uh, but also just like super cool, you know, uh, like that, that could happen. And yeah, that thanks, thanks for doing it. Thanks for reaching out like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so one of the ways we like to start before we kind of get into the interview is we like to just talk about something we've been listening to recently and, um, it can just be anything, anything that you've been like digging and Pat's going to start. So you can have a second to think about it. Cool. Uh, so, still pop. A lot of pop. Um, but I just watched that movie Dope, uh, and that entire soundtrack is so good. Uh, anything specific? Public Enemy. I was doing a lot of Public Enemy today. And if you know me, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, but I was doing it, and it was wonderful. Cool. Um since two weeks ago, I guys, I don't think I've discovered any new music. Um, and, uh, aside from also still listening to pup, honestly, (laughs) this is not a joke. The thing that's been like stuck in my head for the last few days that I've been really into is, uh, there's this like really great song on an Oreo cookies ad (laughs) that over the weekend, uh, I spent, uh, with my girlfriend's family and we watched a bunch of television and I saw this commercial maybe like 50 times (laughs) And it is like, it's a jam. It's somewhere in between like um, 
maybe like, can you say mid-career Bieber? Is that a term? <laughs> now it is. If you say it right sure. now, this moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like somewhere in between mid-career Bieber and Owl City, which are not are not things that That's I the like. Weirdest <laughs> sentence I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, neither of those spectrums are things that I like, but I can't deny just like how commercially catchy this ad is. Like it seems like somebody could have sold this uh, to a pop star and made a and maybe maybe not made more money than selling it to Oreo, but um. But it seems like if they had just pitched it past 30 seconds, it could have done fine on the radio is what, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Even though it's about, I don't know, about cookies. I, I guess you're the target the lyrics, demographic for that commercial then. Uh, 30-something-year-olds who just like need to get in touch with cookies? I guess that's I me. Think, I think it's because, you know, back in the day, commercial songwriter people were like quarantined from uh, like big artist yeah. people, I guess. And now they're the big artists are... are doing songs on commercials and stuff a lot. Yeah. Because everybody needs the money. Yeah. So you're so getting maybe, you're getting a, some bang for your buck on those Oreo commercials. Maybe it is Owl City doing that ad. As long as it's know. not the postal service. Yeah. I don't think it is. Uh, the group Owl City knocked off. Um, great. Brendan, what are you listening to? Well, I'm probably the most obnoxious person to have as a DJ because I'll listen to the same song 10 times in a row. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, it's exploratory sometimes and sometimes I just want to hear the kick drum sound and how they did that. But I've been listening to a lot of Metallica lately, mm -hmm. specifically um, And Justice For All, the entire record. Um, because it's a two, it's a two instrument record. It's only got guitar and drums on it, which is really kind of peculiar for a metal album. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, their bass player, Cliff, died the year before they made it, and Jason Newstead hadn't really replaced him 100%. So that record is so strange in that way. It's like hyper dry and like tight and techy and science metal, and, <laughs> and it's all political. It's all, you know, yeah. reproductive rights, and, and it's 1987 also. So, and it also kind of rewrote the book for how, how metal was going to sound. And, until now and probably yeah. forever but yeah um yeah I, I can't get away from that one that's it's been a lot of metallica and on nice. this cool good to hear um great so the the song that we we asked you to provide just any song that we could do uh <clears throat> was this gem uh which is uh steve winwood's valerie yeah cool yes jam uh we're going to listen to a short clip of it so that everyone gets the reference point that we're at. I, I had to include the after chorus part. It's so it's, good, right? It's, it's <laughs> just as good a hook, yeah. I think. Yeah, like it's a really key part of that song. Yeah, and the video for it's great because his hair is just blowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah, the, the mid '80s were very strange time. Yeah, it was like um, it was transitional. Like you had that Van Halen record with Sammy Hagar, yeah, which was very synth heavy and sort of love songs, like real drippy love songs. And that's one of those tunes, like a transitional tune. Like, I don't think there's any real instruments on that aside from synthesizers and, and fake drums and stuff yeah. in his yeah. voice. And, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know this for a fact. And one of the things I don't do sometimes is purposely not look up the information on a record. So I, I can just like wait to do that one day. Yeah. Um, I have refused to watch the video for uh, Zane's new song, Pillow Talk, for the same reason. <laughs> Like, well, I'm you're the only one. <laughs> it's I was, very popular. I'm saving it. I'm saving it uh -huh. for like, I know one day it'll strike me like, watch that video. You know? <laughs> but, um, but Valerie is one of those tunes that like, for me, I don't know, it was, maybe it's like 85, 86 or something like that. Maybe even 87. I was, yeah. you know, 
super wanting a girlfriend and not about to get one and you know having picturesque daydreams of of the, you know that's my video is way cheesier than his i mean <laughs> there's more wind in the hair but um but it's also a beautiful melody you know mm -hmm. like yeah. the whole thing just carries forever and ever and ever it's pick up the needle and put it right back where it started you know kind of yeah thing. yeah uh well like speaking of that i mean that's that melody has not gone away since the early 80s. So I think this song, he recorded initially on like an 82 album, and then this version, I think, was like a big hit in 87. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It came out on uh, a later album of his. Um, but like when I was finishing high school, then it came out again on uh, Eric Pride's Call On Me, which uh, is like a- You're spoiling everything for me right now. Oh, you're <laughs> well, let's get into it then. <laughs> no, I, I was, I mean, that's, Valerie's one of those songs that I haven't, I don't know the background. I don't know mm -hmm. what kind of keyboard he used. I don't know, yeah. like, I know yeah. that stuff about yeah. a lot of records I like, but I've been saving it, you know? Yeah. So go ahead. No, no, no. Destroy my dreams. <laughs> I don't want to destroy it at all. Well, so when I listen to the song, uh, when it started, I was like, I do not know this song at all. <laughs> And then it hit the chorus and I was like, oh yeah, no, I know this song. This song's great. And I was like, well, why do I know this song? So I went to the Wikipedia article and found out that uh, one of the guys from Daft Punk was using it in his DJ sets. And so that call on me Valerie part was just something that he looped over this like 40 minute DJ set. <laughs> and it like works really well for house music. Yeah. But I was like, oh, that's like a really weird hand, like way to get uh, touch point for that song yeah because it works so well yeah that's that is weird i i um i have a similar story you know the song uh dream away by george harrison mm -hmm. no. well <clears throat> i i mean i was 1982 i think i was nine years old when this film called time bandits was out mm -hmm. yeah it's a terry gilliam movie and dream away the george harrison track closes the roles during the credits <clears throat> the closing credits and forever, I didn't know who it was. I didn't know he was a Beatle. I had like just <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no information, but it was like, the end of Time Bandits is on. Shut up, shut up, everyone, shut up. You know? <laughs> and we listened to that in, on the way in here and nice. in the car. And, and Gabrielle was like, I was, she was like, what is that? And I was like, it's a George Harrison solo song from 1982. And, and she's, I was like, it's a great song, right? She's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Like I love it, I love it. I, I don't know why. See, I think if I heard it for the first time now, I might probably wouldn't like it, or I may not like it as much as I do. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. if like the, you know, the the virgin neurological system is more susceptible to odd, to time odd, odd likes. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But you would have been. Uh, I guess you would have been the perfect age to hear Valerie then, right? I was. Yeah, it was um, MTV Video Countdown song, and I was routinely taping the whole thing on VHS and um, you know I discovered a lot of stuff that way um, you know Rush was had had one Rush had an MTV video hit in 1985 called The Big Money mm -hmm. and that was like my cousin my older cousin had played me Tom Sawyer when I was younger I didn't get it I remembered yeah. the sound of it yeah but this was like me discovering Rush and it, mm. you know I was like oh my god they're on a Monopoly board <laughs> what a stupid idea but 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 it's a great song and you know it's it's also one of those like mid 80s transitional heavy synthesizer yeah you know and i didn't like at the time i was really kind of in a little like burgeoning acdc head mm -hmm. and i didn't like the glam stuff yeah i, I was like oh you gotta wear jeans if you won't wear jeans then you're fake you know and mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and uh and that was a song that like was was really cheesed out you know, like, yeah. mm -hmm. like the video was cheesed out, the hair was cheesed out. I mean, you know, and I kind of couldn't couldn't dislike it. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm getting sucked in, you know. Um, but I never wound up liking Poison or any of that yeah. sort of thing. It's a little so, too much. It was, it was, you know, yeah. Well, it's almost like uh, Valerie's almost like so far away from probably what you were really into, right? That like, really far away. Yeah. yeah. So like it was safe. Right. You wouldn't like uh, like hair metal bands or, you know, like those band X clad rockers. It's like that would have been too close. Like you could like trip and be into them all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then and then go get beat up somewhere in, yeah. in the neighborhood. Um, but yeah, that I mean, 
it was a lot of good pop music happening in, mm-hmm. in the 80s. Um, you remember a song by a band called Tapau, called Heart and Soul, I think it's called? No. no. That's that's another one you should try, try and see if anybody <laughs> likes. Um, <laughs> Take a poll. <laughs> anybody? It's a really strong, super well-written pop yeah. tune. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's important um, to, to, like, in the history of music, it's almost impossible to separate the, the artist from the written song and just kind of go, go song searching. Because mm-hmm. yeah. everybody has their moment that, that pop culture embraces them and then kind of kicks them away. So, yeah, yeah, it's a totally, like, you have to get into the science of it in some ways to be accurate about what, what's a good song yeah. and not let C.C. DeVille turn you <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, it's always, I think, like... Um, it's like kind of like personally shocking anytime uh, an act that I really hate does something I like because it's just who, like who did that recently oh uh, I can, well it, it wasn't that recently but I can give you probably my darkest example is that there's like one Black Eyed Peas song I love <laughs> <laughs> and I like unapologetically think it's just a great uh, song and what song is it I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of it it's um start singing it Uh, I think it's called I think it's called Love You Long Time <laughs> uh, I want to say I'm surprised Yeah but If that's not the name of it It's in the chorus uh, I think that's the name of it um, I don't know But it's like one of those songs Where I was like God I just wish somebody else Had written this Even if somebody was just like Their one Did you ever wish that somebody else Besides you liked it? <laughs> Uh, every day. <laughs> I think, I mean, come on, it's the Black Eyed Peas. Definitely people other than me liked it. Right, right, right. Um, but that's like, it's almost, um, I don't want to like let people know that I like a song by them because of who I, of the associations I now have with them or like, you know, my friends might have with them. Uh, yeah. Um, Pissing off your parents and teachers and stuff was way more popular when I was a young person, I think. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I have this thing with the Fergie song, Big Girls Don't Cry, mm-hmm. where if it's on in the car, I'm rolling down the windows and I'm playing it very loud. <laughs> and, you know, finger out the... Sure. And, and it's, it's a beautiful song. It's absolutely gorgeous, you know. Um, I don't care if it's sincere or any of that stuff because mm-hmm. it... It's just a you know perfect recording and all that. People from you know from Long Island, you, you kind of have to like Billy Joel, mm-hmm. but in the rest of the world, people don't like Billy Joel that much, <laughs> um, and they don't like Billy Joel for some of the reasons that I don't like some of the stuff he does. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the bad Billy Joel stuff went over to England first, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know so like um, matter of trust. And, you know, when he tried to be Bruce Springsteen for a record. And, sure. Um, and, you know, Summer Highland Falls is still a gorgeous, gorgeous masterpiece, um, if that's what it's called, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to convince somebody who doesn't like Billy Joel that he's great, you know. Yeah. And yeah. especially if you're from Long Island, it's almost like you have no credibility. Just shut up. Go and that's, that's where you're from, right? Right, right. So you're by default uh, Billy Joel Homer. Yeah. N- n- uh, yes. <laughs> but in, in the sense that people, if you are trying to ma- build a case, people are just going to not believe you. I learned you. a long time ago not to, <laughs> not to build a case. Um, but uh, but I, I think I, Billy Joel was part of the stuff that I rejected at first mm-hmm. as an identity yeah. thing. And then as a songwriter myself and a musician started to realize that there are these epic narratives and, and beautiful, you know, Broadway scenes and, and yeah. shit. And, and that was, um, then it was revisited fully, you know? Mm-hmm. So what was it that you were, uh, so you were listening to things of rebel and whatever, but what were the, what were some songs or bands or groups or whatever that got you to start just picking up an instrument to write? Um, I started writing as soon as I did pick up the instrument. Yeah. Um, my mother showed me how to play My Girl because she plays like folk guitar mm-hmm. um, when I was about eight or nine. 
and since then I've kind of been <clears throat> like ripping that off <laughs> and rewriting it. And mm -hmm. um, so it was always a creative process. But uh, if you're talking about culturally, what made me want to like get yeah, get, get get say something? something you yeah. know? Like, um, when I was ten years old, there was a satanic ritual homicide uh, committed by teenagers in in Northport out. Yeah. And um, the kid who did it, <laughs> the kid who did it, um, who killed his friend, uh, got arrested wearing an ACDC shirt. Mm. And I had a tape case full of ACDC, yeah. like bootlegs. And like, I was really, I knew everything about it. Um, so it was instantly, you know, <laughs> Brendan's a devil worshiper. <laughs> like, like <laughs> parents and teachers and stuff. And back, back then, news stories could be total bullshit and go and go and go and go and go and mm -hmm. now people are like oh, i looked it up and it's not really yeah you know. so um it was a huge cultural um moment for me and that's probably the sort of identifying identifying moment for me to want to write stuff that says something about a period or about a struggle or any of that important stuff hmm. yeah and i was an atheist even then yeah <laughs> burgeoning so i thought some stuff was such bullshit like yeah. like you know and i remember trying to explain to my mom it's like it it was still an issue when i was later on when i was 13 because i was getting ready to go to high school and she wouldn't let me go to the public school there because these kids had smoked 15 bags of angel dust that you know that night yeah. so um I, I was like it's not because of the it's not because they believe in satan that's that's it's because they're idiot <laughs> drug head morons who can't even spell I mean they spray painted S-A-T-I-N like, like these these people were these kids were just lost we love fabric yeah. <laughs> soft fabric as soft as possible this is how we're gonna rebel right but I just couldn't verbalize that you know yeah, I was yeah. like having such a hard time so I think that 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 tension and the stress and stuff was had more to do with my songwriting uh, urges than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so you're talking about this song as like a transitional song, right? Um, musically and culturally kind of. Valerie? Yeah. Well, yeah, in this environment with, mm -hmm. with this sort of dirtbaggy tough guys walking around, um, oops, one of which I suddenly was because of what I was listening to. <laughs> um, if you got caught, if you were listening to Valerie somewhere, you were dead. Mm-hmm dead i mean and it was very homophobic and very you know st stupid and and i more and more began to listen to things clandestinely and mm -hmm. it became a really inner experience music you know so the smiths for instance and erasure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we covered erasure on our first record yeah um that stuff was dangerous yeah the most dangerous that was the real dangerous music the yeah. stuff where people wore eyeliner was way more yeah. dangerous than, you know, Number of the Beast. Right. Which I also loved. Yeah. yeah. So. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the I don't think this was like a stretch, but my, my question was sort of like, okay, well, if this is transitional music, right, maybe culturally and stuff, then is, was this part of a transitional like time for you or even yeah. in just terms of like artistically or just life, you know? Yeah, said you were I didn't in your know, teens, I didn't, know like that, I didn't have an artistic, or didn't know that I had an artistic life. Yet. Yeah, I think yeah. I was just, I, I just assumed that like everybody listened to their parents' stereo really loud and played along to it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but um, the 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 point of view that that music can also be a guy sitting there with some kind of weirdo early synthesizer making a record like Steve Winwood did, mm -hmm. yeah. who had this history of being a incredible blues artist yeah um and now was making what effectively is cheese pop gorgeous cheese yeah. pop yeah. um that was a, a new horizon that was like it's like oh this happens too suddenly it was three-dimensional genre world and that's, that's awesome. that song is is the melody just got into me that way and then it stuck with me since you know i have like two copies of it on vinyl 12 inch mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's like one of my like don't touch my valerie <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be uh, a number of people like kind of from that era that maybe represented something similar right like i just off the top of my head i think of like clapton going through like 
not quite maybe as cheese pop as Winwood, but Very, like the certainly, record. yeah, but like yeah. certainly stuff that was unrecognizable from his heyday, you know. So you got hooked with Layla. Is that is that the one or or a wonderful me? Tonight. I'm well, trying to think. Well, wonderful tonight, yeah, wonderful yeah. Tonight. that was, and which was a you know, yeah, for, in terms of his greatest hits album, yeah. uh, probably with the cheesiest song on there. Clapton was this guy who you, your dad also liked. Yes, hundred yeah. um, percent. And I I saw him a few times for that reason. And then I and then I personally discovered him with the song um, "Motherless Children" mm-hmm. um, on the Ocean Boulevard record, which is was the sound the um, theme song to not necessarily the news on on HBO. I don't know. If right, it, yeah, it's yeah. like old stuff, yeah, old, yeah, yeah. old ca- hacked cable box stuff. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> but that was uh, and then and then stuck with him through the eighties that way, and he well, made those cheese pop yeah, transitional yeah. records in nineteen eighty eight and. Um, Journeyman is one. Yeah. Is the name of one that has a really good song on it called Alibis or No Alibis? Ooh, or something. I don't think I know that one. There's really good <clears throat> stuff there. Um, but I think of like Rod Stewart similarly. Yeah, like it took it took me. I would say even like being in the maybe even like end of college after college to realize like the value of his earlier career. It just, but it took a lot. It's it's not realistically. It's not that much digging. Mm-hmm. But I just think I had written him off so hard. I suspect that I didn't care. The same yeah. reason I wrote off David Lee Roth. Yeah, was probably. this sort of like <laughs> chaps, man? <laughs> <laughs> karate kicks and chaps and stuff. <clears throat> and I just if I I liked Van Halen from Fifty One Fifty because Sammy Hagar played guitar while mm-hmm. he sang. Yeah. So I thought that was like I thought it sucked to like not play an instrument while you're on stage, kind of you know just, just. a lead vocalist. It was like kind of like a throwback <laughs> to you know. The Barbra Streisand or something. Sure. <laughs> it was yeah. It's like less rock than yeah. being able to play yeah. guitar as well. Yeah. But that but there I keep I always have this conversation with our bass player that there's all of these artists had these wonderful records in the mid '80s that that where they were having some sort of what seemed to be a sunset in their career, mm-hmm. like, and they wound up being K Joy hits and yeah. and and stuff like that. But they're really good. Like some of them are really good. Well, the songwriting is good, and that that like that's the part where I think production was really be- like kind of lame at that so, point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you can kind of pull out uh, this the song elements, you know, and the melodies and stuff like that, you you just get the sense of like, all right, these guys are all incredibly great songwriters. The presentation of it's just pretty, you know. Yeah. Poor but back right then, now. that was really hard to get over. Yeah, you know, and most people I think don't, I think didn't. There was like the the schism in in music, like oh, Steve Winwood's making synth pop now, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that kind of. And that you can see the old guy who won't go to his concert anymore. Um, but you know that unless unless you live through it, I, I kind of don't think it's that important um, <laughs> because now there's the the merger of synth and and rock music is complete. Like I listen yeah. to Passion Pit every mm-hmm. once in a while, and I'm like these guys really figured out how to make a hard hitting yeah. like pop synth record. That's so cool. And Phoenix is the same way Phoenix does that. And that's all like, you know, Oh man, I could probably could have got away with listening to this back then. Not get, not get my ass kicked. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I think that that's the legacy of it now, you know, that, yeah. that weird transitional eighties shit. Yeah. And I wonder how much of it also has to do with just how people are finding music. Cause now you have YouTube and Twitter and, Spotify and whatever so you can find the other people are like no yes I like that band I like that song uh but I would imagine that before that it was just you're finding music through MTV or whatever and then you go to school yeah yeah I found music through MTV yeah definitely yeah I got in trouble in a uh, recently in a car ride with some um we had a few backing vocalists in the band and we were all in the car together and somebody had Stevie Nicks's greatest hits. And I was like, is Seven Wonders on that? Seven Wonders on that? And they were like, what, you fucking like that song? Oh, God, shut up. <laughs> and that was the one they hated. Yeah. Because yeah. that was her solo mid-80s record. And they yeah. were like, no, play the Fleetwood Mac stuff. You know? So I, I, know, I know what that what that is, is to be the doofus who doesn't know the history of something because you discovered it on MTV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not really your fault unless... You, you know, unless you don't look into it, I guess it's not a fault because that implies that people need to be music people, yeah, which is crappy, I think. But, but like, you know, 
there is a really close connection between knowing and not knowing the history of something musical and maybe not having such a good social life or, you know, like mm-hmm. getting excluded or being that odd person out. I think it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that sort of falls back into like the whole, the fact that I didn't, I thought I didn't know this song. <laughs> and then when I looked and I finally realized, oh no, I do. Cause then it, that does open up this world of like, what? okay, well I like this. I clearly like the song. So it's like, all right, well I'll go check out the rest now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that just adds to like the arsenal of like, oh no, I do know this and I can talk about it. Yeah. Now. I thought express yourself was an NWA song. <laughs> for instance. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, for until 1995, I was, uh, and, and then, you know, when I, sometime when I was graduating college, I, the old funk shit came back to, to, to my world somehow. First with, uh, a woman called Betty Wright. I don't know if mm-hmm. you. She has a song called "The Cleanup Woman," that's a really cool tune. But you can't discover things if you're not exposed to them. So, like, like Fugazi, for instance, played legendary shows um, a train ride away from my hometown. I yeah. didn't know who they were until 1993 or 92 or something. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, um, now they're one of my <laughs> biggest aesthetic and and you know sonic influences. Yeah. Um, and you can't you can't find it if you're not near it, yeah. you know. That's conveniently where we pulled the name for this show from. <laughs> oh, repeater. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. Nailed it. Well, we're done with this show. <laughs> uh, this is it. Drop series mic. finale. Um. So when you graduated, did you move to New York like into Manhattan immediately? Or? Um. I I graduated college in 1990. Five, and I was uh, one of those people who was seventeen when he graduated hmm. college because of my birthday, not because yeah. of oh, more. Okay, <laughs> and um, I uh, just went and got a job and li- lived at my parents' place for a couple of weeks, like two weeks, and then I moved to Floral Park, and um, was still in bands, auditioning, mm-hmm. and all of that. But it was all very everything was always very New York City central growing up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, unlike some of the people who live on Long Island, were intent on coming back to the city frequently. So we, we went to plays and stuff. I saw cats when I was a kid. And very nice. exciting. Um, so, so at the Winter Garden Theater. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. And so the, the New York City as a pl- as a place of um, cultural culture and art was a huge for me always yeah. always. Um, so I c- came here quickly. As, as I could afford it. And in mm-hmm. 1997, I moved into Manhattan and lived on 14th and Avenue B cool. um, for a while. And uh, three years after, two years after that, we signed a record deal and we went out on tour. So nice. that was, that was kind of like the progression. But, but from 96 until um, 1999, we were playing shows. We were playing, uh, rotating between the old Luna Lounge on Ludlow mm-hmm. yeah. and um, the Mercury Lounge back and forth. And we tried to play like once every two and two and a half months or three months mm-hmm. and make sure that it was a friend party. Yeah. And we played songs, transitional songs like the Erasure song. And um, we did Jesse's Girl. Mm-hmm. And we did uh, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> our shows. Um, Willie Nelson's always been a thing since, since I was very small, yeah. like Willie Nelson. But um, yeah, it was always a like, song-centric experience. Um, even early on when we had Teenage Dirtbag was in the set from the beginning of our, from our inception. Mm-hmm. Um, I, had, I should clarify that. I spent two years m- recording our first record by myself oh, wow. to kind of know what it was supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and people recognized the lyrics of that song sort of instantly at our shows, and it were all friends and family at first, and then that started to expand into people... Yeah, mostly people I didn't know singing along to it, and um, and that was that. That was a transitional moment. Yeah, like having, having people like give a shit about this thing that like I knew was about Satan on some level um, <laughs> was, was was really was really strange, and and I think a good lesson to me early on to not try to. <laughs> everybody doesn't have to understand the origin of everything to like it. Sure, you know. Um, but because it comes off to people very happy. And only in mm-hmm. like 2007, 2008 did I start telling the truth about what, <laughs> <laughs> what inspired the whole, what, what a dirt bag is, you know. So, so what is it? <laughs> the, the first time I, well, 
I knew what it was growing up. I was kind of like the guy who used to like walk really tough with old construction boots on. And I'm talking about teenagers and yeah, yeah, yeah. do a ton of drugs and have a, um, you know, pentagram on the back of the denim jacket and not know how to spell Satan. <laughs> and, um, and that, that sort of like crowd that, that loomed large and were dangerous bullies in, in the neighborhood. And, um, but the music, the music that they listened to at the time was very, was very important to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden getting dragged into that as a, as a pariah thing by, by adults was, was a, a moment. Yeah. And then the first time I ever saw it in print was the Rolling Stone article about the murder, mm -hmm. which came out in November 1984. And that's the only sort of like period and, and vernacular correct usage of the term dirtbag that, that I've seen <laughs> is in this Rolling Stone article. Um, so... Yeah, that that's the that's the origin of the yeah. thing, the term. Yeah. Um, so when we were talking about this at the last show, it was kind of cool to see like uh, people's interpretations of what being a teenager bag is, because uh, <laughs> our last guest, Annalise, was sort of taking it on as like a. I moved across the country. I live in New York now. I'm an adult. I'm paying my bills. But if I want to stay out till four in the morning, I can. And just sort of like, it was felt more of like a freedom thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Like enjoy life. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> that that uh, you know, that song is a, like you know this first Star Trek movie from the seventies yeah. where Voyager mm -hmm. comes back. That song's like the Voyager spacecraft that went out away from us, yeah. and it came back sentient and not, not, not knowing its own name and, yeah. and all that. And and like <clears throat> I, I'm very happy about it. Yeah. As, as an independent musician without without a management, and we decided to not do that in, at all. But yeah. it, it acts as our manager. It acts as our attorney. It acts as, like, all those things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's definitely in the category of one-hit wonder. Sure. And the best one that I could hope for <laughs> you know, like in, the, in that regard. I mean, we, we made a conscious decision to walk away from Columbia Records and walk yeah. away from mm -hmm. the manager that we had and not do that anymore. And... You know, um, so as a small independent operation that's somewhat sustainable, we're very happy. Um, but the the, uh, the strangest thing about that is that the the One Direction covered the song and yeah. and, <laughs> and I had a hard time like <laughs> explaining to, to to the twelve year olds on Twitter like you know because they want to know they're like why yeah. did you write this what 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 is this about you know. They know what it's about in their world, which is that should be enough for them. But yeah. sometimes they wind up finding about Satan. <laughs> Everybody they, learns in their own way. <laughs> yeah. Hey, mate, that song's about Satan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I heard it. Um, <laughs> that video, because, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia just, like, reading about what you guys are up to and everything. And I saw that and was like, what? And so I watched the video because it's in one of their tour documentaries. Oh, of One Direction, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And it's got like these freeze frame comic book like action. Their video and... for the song is way better than ours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like um, I, when we were playing the Mercury Lounge and stuff like that, I used to, uh, has anybody seen the film The Last Dragon? No. Okay. Um, it's a it's a Barry Gordy Motown Records movie. Okay. And uh, it's effectively sort of the Karate Kid, but he lives in Harlem, and his dad yeah. runs a pizza shop, and he's into kung fu, and there's rap in it, and Buster Rhymes actually gets his character from the villain in mm. in this film. Nice. Um, well, not his character. He's obviously an artist, but he. he <laughs> the name. Yeah. So. I used to wear the sort of silk Chinese mm -hmm. suits on stage with the huge hat and stuff. And it was entirely, entirely because of the film. And I, and I just like felt comfortable in these like lightweight, cheap ass suits from, sure. from, from Chinatown. So um, the label Columbia Records, they fucking hated that. They were, like, they were like, you look so, nobody can see you. You look like a stupid, like, cartoon ninja and shut it stop you know and so the compromise that we came up with is the outfit that i'm wearing in the teenage dirtbag mm. video so that's like 
somewhere on the sliding scale between what I wanted and what Columbia Records <laughs> wanted me to look like. And, you know, at the time, they don't really do this anymore, but this is spending $450,000 on a video with yeah. Yeah. Jason Biggs and Mina Savari in it, and they're, like, way bigger stars than we ever became. So um, we, it got away from us. It really yeah. got away yeah. from us. Um, and that was one of the reasons we kind of decided to get away from it. But sure. the One Direction version of the video is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that's that's really interesting. Like, um, uh, I'm just trying to like piece together some thoughts. But it's <clears throat> you talking about sort of your influences, you know, as a as a teenager uh, and whatnot, being into this music that had these kind of like dirtbags associated with it, you know. Um, but then also, sort of secretly listening to these maybe uh, fluffier, poppier things. Um, like, how does that? come to fruition, not only, I guess, sort of in the f beginning of Weedis, right? You know, like your songwriting for the, for the stage, for public consumption and all that. But also it's like, you're now a part of uh, the machine you don't like, you know, yeah, again, at a certain a point. Deal, yeah. yeah. And you, and, and it sounds like very, you know, you guys are very aware of that. And, and we were pretty naive at first. And we met an A&R guy who wanted us to produce our own record. Mm -hmm. Um, we made the first record for Columbia Records in my mother's basement. And they were cool with that. Our yeah. A&R guy at the time had slipped Donnie Einer, the president, our teenage dirtbag. Mm -hmm. And he was like, whatever you need to do, do it. Now, after that, the naivete really became an issue because mm -hmm. once you get into the mechanism of a multinational entertainment company, that whole first initial initial message is lost it just goes away and everybody yeah. has an idea one guy wanted me to wear le leather pants and <laughs> get rid of the acoustic guitar see um part of what we did when i when i was a kid um there was a lot of like homophobic bullying and i'm not gay but it didn't really none of that mattered back then yeah so i wanted to make really heavy music that irritated homophobes <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. That was one of uh -huh. the reasons that that's amazing that that I I played an acoustic guitar all the time. But you commented or somebody earlier, I think it was Christian, commented on the guitar sound mm -hmm. as being this like really powerful thing. Yeah. The you know aesthetic irony of that sound coming from an, a wimpy acoustic guitar was part of it. Yeah, nobody got that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were like, "Where's the Marshall stacks?" You know. So I mean. It, it was very obvious within the first year of the single being, a, uh, no, the first three months of the single being a hit, mm -hmm. and it took six months for that to happen, that we had to get out of here. Yeah. Because whatever allowed us to do the first thing yeah. was not going to be there for any second thing at all, you know? Yeah. Um, because everything that we tried to do, all the ideas seemed to really bother them. Like, they bothered the shit out yeah. of these radio people and stuff. And they were like, I remember one time we did our, we were doing our first, this didn't matter so much in, in the United Kingdom where we were doing like a theater tour, it sold out. Mm -hmm. And it was our first headlining tour and the Columbia Records called me in the middle of the sound check. I, I picked up the phone and Donnie Einer, the president, was like, I got to get you to come back over here and re-sing this A Little Respect song. I'm like, why? What's what's the problem? He's like, you sound too much like a girl, kid. You gotta like, you know, American radio's not gonna play this shit like this. You gotta get your voice down a few octaves and blah, blah. And I was like, do you like it the way I sing, like now? And he was like, I'm with you 100%. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, hmm. I mean, that was like, those were conversations like, let's get the hell out of this as soon yeah. as we can. We're very, very obviously required early on. What was backing out of that like? Um, we got lucky. We were the luckiest band ever on that front. Yeah. Um, we had a, a first meeting. We completed our second album at my mother's house again. And we brought it in to, to listen to and pick a single. And they all hated it. They hated it so much. And uh, the head, at this point, we had become an international concern for them mm -hmm. and the international president was there and the columbia records president was there and they're all like reading us this list of we're not going to do this we're not going to pay for a video we're not going to 
service it to radio. It's not coming out in the States. That mm. was the one of the things mm-hmm. that we were yeah. like, holy shit, like they're shutting us down. Um, and I was quiet during the meeting and uh, they they kind of turned to me at the end and were like, well, what do you think, Brendan? What do you think you want to do? You want to make another record for us? And Because th- they want you to make more. They want you yeah. to make mm-hmm. a third one yeah. that they're not going to put out as well. And then they're like, give us everything you got. We might decide to flush it down the toilet, you know? And I said, I don't know, man. If you guys aren't going to put our records out, I think I should probably get a day job again. And I was serious yeah. because mm-hmm. I don't I don't have financial benefactors in my life sure. el- elsewhere. So, you know, I, I said that earnest in earnest and they the president flew off the handle at me. He's like, you fucking feel that way? You can take your goddamn record and get the hell out of here. And I looked over at our lawyer and manager at the time and they were like, <laughs> 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 and they held him to that. Yeah. And we got out with our second album intact. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. It was weird though. It was like, yeah, did that just happen? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, you did what uh, many of recording artists has not been able to do. I didn't mean it. <laughs> I, I tell you, it wasn't a plan. I was just responding like in, in sort of semi-terror. Like, sure. yeah. what did yeah. I get myself into here? You know, But yeah, that's what happened. So what's it been like building out? Uh, so is the label you're on now yours? Yeah. It, yeah. What's that been like? Uh, really easy. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Take um, note, everybody. Very easy. <laughs> <laughs> just do it what are you waiting for just get yourself a teenage dirtbag and <laughs> um, ride it yeah no uh, it, we make the kind of records that we like to make yeah. um, and if I want to put the synth sound from Valerie into it I do and <laughs> and, um, uh, and we put them out to a small group of people who care about it and come to see us 600 or 700 heads a night in mm-hmm. England for 40 dates and um and then we go to Australia once every three years because Teenage Dirtbag was a hit there. And um, I have to say, like, I, I kind of don't want it to change if it ha- if it means stopping the way that, that we do it, you know, because it's all a family thing. And um, the people who work with me have been with me for a long time, and they always know that they're going to get paid properly. And there's never kind of like any shenanigans. We have a booking agent in England who um, lost his virginity to Teenage Dirtbag. <laughs> and... and he, we, we met him and he was like just starting to book shows yeah. and stuff and he made his way up to he's a, a really important guy at a company called primary now mm-hmm. um so it's we got lucky and we continue to and um yeah. it's all based on like not wanting to work with assholes ever yeah that's uh something that like, i'm thinking of is that uh when i listened to that record um you know a couple weeks ago uh, your debut Weedus. Yeah. And, um, and listen to this song. And it's, it's very interesting. Cause I think like what <laughs> I can almost think of as stuff. That's like, I'm like, Oh yeah, man, that's like very of the year 2000 and all this stuff. Um, but part of even like you're describing, you know, how you looked on stage compared to what they wanted you to do and things like that. Um, it's like really sticking to your guns about what you think is I, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth because I'd be interested for you to tell me, but it's like, what's fun or what's interesting to you and what you want to be pursuing. And even if it is like, just to like stick it to these people, um, it's not worth, I don't know, like st- stick, staying in a terrible situation um, for yeah. you to do that. Yeah. Uh, well, you're probably, if you're going to sign to a major label, you're, you're signing up for some sort of terrible situation. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you have to understand that, and I think it's important to know. And I don't think it's dishonorable to sign a record deal. You know, sure. I, I personally tell people that I think there's another way these days. Mm-hmm. But you know, that doesn't mean that they won't meet. Uh, let's say that the A and R guy who loved our own homemade production wound up being the president of Columbia Records. Yeah, well, we would have. Yeah. We would have been. You know, could do anything. Yeah. Um, because they do have the reach and they do have the the marketing power and all that stuff. And in in the end, or very quickly after the beginning, that wasn't very important to us. And we yeah. realized that. I mean, we had started. We were given away teenage dirtbag at the Mercury Lounge shows. We were yeah. just giving it away. Um, so, you know, and I I worked for a computer company, and the guys who ran the the networking company that I worked for were like. I don't know, man. I think music's gonna be free in a couple of years. You know, you sure you want? To be free? <laughs> <laughs> like, and they were they were totally right. Obviously. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, like the you can you're dealing with a multinational corporation. They don't give a shit about art. You're kidding yourself yeah. if you if you think that you're gonna find you know gleam that cube. I mean that yeah. that's not gonna happen. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things about just looking through the Weedus Wikipedia page, not Wikipedia page, the Facebook page, uh, was just the photo albums. Um, cause I was just trying to get a sense of like what you guys have been up to and whatever. And I found the photo albums of the, uh, the crowd shots. Oh yeah. So there are these pictures where it's just Brendan, I guess a selfie camera with the audience. And then it's just like 20 or 30 different pictures and like that struck me as real cool because there's so many bands that you go and you see and you know they end the set and just walk off and maybe you get a little and that's fine too but just this it just felt so much more like oh this is a big party where everybody knows each other yeah so it it is like that yeah um england is a very regional place and people they travel but they tend not to travel because it's all public transportation so they'll be like oh you're within 30 miles of my town i can come you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and 15 years of that for us going back once or twice or maybe sometimes once every two years, um, we're, just, we're just friends with these people now. Yeah. You know, it's gotten to that point. It's no more, there's no more barrier. We try hard to tell security to like, these are our friends, just you know, yeah. don't worry. Um, and, uh, you know, we've slept at their houses and they've, they've picked up our merch from the mail post office. <laughs> and, and like, it's, it's an interactive, you know, machine that that uh, i don't th- i don't think the music industry has in it at all anywhere but yeah. but in little situations like us um and i f- really feel comfortable with it I, you know it's so comfortable it's like no no go- nobody's going to tell you to wear leather pants <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad you didn't have to wear leather pants for any point of your would, career would never happened <laughs> <laughs> We're chaps for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> no. You can still get a satin jacket one of these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had some kid make a uh, a chocolate bar with my face on it. One time. <laughs> I still have it in the freezer at the studio. Nice. It's like 15 wow. years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cherish too weird that. To just eat it. <laughs> Not after 15 years. <laughs> Was this person like a chocolatier? No. Or? No. No. Um, <laughs> We're starting to have these places now, but there's a lot more like crafty one-off joints in in England. Mm-hmm. Like, I want a shirt that has a, a Cabbage Patch doll sticking out of it, and <laughs> they, they make that. Like, oh yeah, one of those. We'll make you one of those. Yeah. So my face and chocolate is not such a big deal. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Understatement of the year. Um, <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, I think we can play some music now. Cool. Does that sound good? Yeah, definitely. This is a post-apocalyptic love song called Valentine. It's from our most recent record of the same title.
That's the professional maneuver. <laughs> I have this magic drop D lever on my guitar. It's like a grunge button. I wanted to mention my sister too loves the Oreo cookie commercial song. <laughs> <laughs> We've been together and it comes on. She's like, oh, I love this song. <laughs> What's the one that you like? The boop? Uh, it's a PNC bank, and it's an instrumental. Um, it's so pretty. We're so fucked. They got us singing their theme songs. Fucking banks. We're going to play uh, Teenage Dirtbag now.
is Noelle And I have a dream about her She rings my bell I got gym class in half an hour Oh, how she rocks In kids and tube socks But she doesn't know who I am And she doesn't give a damn about me Cause I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby Yeah, I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby Listen to Iron Maiden, baby, with me Her boyfriend's a dick And he brings a gun to school And he'd simply kick my ass If he knew the truth He lives on my block And he drives an rock. But he doesn't know who I am And he doesn't give a damn about me Cause I'm just a teenage What you meant by mid-period Bieber now. <laughs> Just had to get get it in there. Thanks for having us, guys. That was really fun. Want more of Brendan? Check out Weedus's tour dates, music, and news at Weedus.com and follow him on Twitter at Weedus. As we've learned, he's very responsive. Tweet him. Well, Pat, I can't believe this episode actually happened. It was kind of mind-blowing to go from talking about Wheatus to sitting down with Wheatus only two weeks later. And Brendan could not have been nicer. Oh, totally. It was such a great time talking to him. Also, it's so amazing that after having this huge hit, he and the band have kept doing their own thing for all these years. That's awesome. 
We want to thank everyone who's given this episode a listen and also thank QED and Astoria Queens for giving us a home. Cambria Cruz and her hall staff totally rule. Until next time, hit repeat. Repeater is hosted by Evan Forbarden and Patrick Cartelli at QED in Astoria, Queens, a place to show and tell. Find out more at qedastoria.com. Our show is supported in part by Hi-Fi Records and Cafe in Astoria. Visit them from wherever you are at hi-fi-records.com. Editing by Stephen Garvey. Theme music by The Sun Lions. Everything else by Love Nest Productions. Welcome to Repeater. Repeater.